So your final four predictions. I think Tyler and Corey go home next. Okay. And then let's say Nicole and Victor in third, um, Leo and Jamal in second, and Colin and Christy win. Ten weeks ago, Art and JJ slid out in Tokyo, Rupert and Laurie succumbed to death and rot in Laos, Corinne and Eliza lost at badminton in Vietnam, Janelle and Brittany lost at competitive Tower of Hanoi in Uganda, Rachel and Alitha threw away their shot in Switzerland, Chris and Brett switched out in Croatia, Becca and Floyd got egg in their faces in the Netherlands, and Nicole and Victor were not in the know in London. Welcome to the final episode of URT Number, the Amazing Race 31 recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone, and joining me as always is the Canadian who is just glad there's no more challenges, Logan Saunders. Evening. And the lady who came into this podcast with youth and now continues with wisdom, Michelle Pierce-Denovan. Oh, I like that. I, I thought I'd go for a nice one for you for the finale, rather than continually insinuating that you hate your children. Exactly. And after 12 <laughs> legs and over 25,000 miles, we have our winners, and I'm finally able to say it's Colin and Christy. Are you guys happy about it? Yes! So happy. I genuinely had a panic on um, Thursday morning because I thought, well, I know they leave the final challenge by about an hour, but will they have a terrible taxi driver and will I have to not watch this episode again? And then they won anyway. I was well happy with it. (laughs) (laughs) Logan, did you enjoy it? Yes. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's the team we wanted wanted to win pre-season and that's the team that won. I kind of wish that we'd done our predictions like last June when the season started filming, like I know another uh, Amazing Race podcast did, but I kind of don't care because I still would have had Colin and Christie as my win pick even if I didn't know they won. See, and I and I didn't, right? I thought they would be like top three but not win, or be like, no, I said even lower. I said like fourth or fifth, didn't You I? said like seventh, I think, actually, in the preview. Yeah, just because I didn't think they would be as good as they definitely were this season. They still keep up the streak of just <laughs> never finishing below top four for a whole season. That's a pretty exclusive club. Yeah, and this kind of leads on to something we're going to talk about later, because this season, more than any other, we've known some things. And I think we're going to get everything out in the open by the end of this episode in terms of who knew what. Because there were some suspicions and... that I may have you know, spoiled the season, and that's a lie. But... <laughs> I will admit everything that I knew, basically, by the end of this episode. 
And we were talking about this before, Michael, but between those last three teams, they have a combined total of 83 legs run by the time they reach all reach the finish line, which is just shy of seven full seasons of combined experience. <laughs> three of which come from Leo and Jamal alone. <laughs> and they still, how can you call yourselves the Amazing Race Kings if you've never won the crown? So, previously, 11 teams from Survivor Big Brother and Amazing Race began a race around the world. Teams travelled to new locations in Uganda and Laos, and encountered a new twist in the U-Turn Tribal Council. Along the way, Art and JJ, Rupert and Laura, Corinne and Eliza, Janelle and Brittany, Rachel and Alitha, Chris and Brett, and Becca and Floyd were eliminated, leaving Colin and Christy, Corey and his partner, Leo and Jamal, and Nicole and Victor with a chance to still win. I like how Phil didn't even... He forgot that there was a U-Turn before the must vote U-Turn, he's like, and then there was a second U-Turn on the race. Like, uh, um, what about the whole peace offering thing that happened at that first U-turn? We're just not going to acknowledge that anymore? Well, I think it was because the last U-turn actually had a kind of effect on the London leg in terms of Nicole and Victor leaving the pit stop going, yeah, we just want to beat Leo and Jamal and make sure they go home in fourth again purely out of spite. Yeah, those two teams completely, well, I would say everyone didn't know the team that they were supposed to be focusing on for those last two episodes. Who'd have thought that the team who came into this 11th leg with a very strong chance of getting the All-Star record would have been the ones to try and eliminate and gang up on? Who'd have thunk? Yeah, what brilliant strategy was that to not go after the team that is considered one of the strongest teams to run multiple times in Amazing Race history? I don't think there's any consideration anymore. I think they are definitely one of the strongest teams ever to race. I think you could actually make an argument for them being the strongest team to race in multiple seasons. Like mm. I haven't I haven't said too many good things about this season, but this finale both episodes really was really fascinating to see just you have some of the most experienced people in reality TV history in a final four situation. And no one's thinking rationally whatsoever about who to align with or who to gang up on. They ganged up on the most most inexperienced team out of the four. <laughs> and the team who, if you were putting money on it pre-season anyway, even if these were all first-time teams, you probably would put money on Nicole and Victor losing out of this final four. Oh, definitely. They are definitely the sore thumb. Because you have a pair of people in Colin and Christy who have been engaged for 15 years, never mind together for that long. You have Corey and his partner, who have been friends forever. Leo and Jamal, who grew up together as cousins. And then Nicole and Victor, who've known each other for like two or three years. And formed a relationship basically based on zero trust whatsoever, given she voted him out three times. And the fact that Nicole's <laughs> the, the, the weakest physically, by far, out of all eight racers in the group, too. Yeah. You would definitely try and drag them to the finals just to guarantee yourself an extra place. But not just physically. She doesn't seem to have much confidence in doing anything much. And she's also the least travelled by far, I think, out of all eight. She's one of the least travelled out of the entire season. Or really an amazing race history, I guess. <laughs> yeah, because let's look at the eliminated teams. Becker and Floyd pretty much completed the entire season their first time. So they got like eight, nine countries then. Chris and Brett, yeah, you can make an argument that they're not that well-traveled, probably. Rachel has traveled to like 
30 different locations. Janelle and Brittany, not sure how well-traveled they are. Corinne and Eliza, definitely both well-traveled, especially Eliza, given that her bio said that she spoke like five different languages. She's well-traveled. And she's met Eamon, who lives in Malaysia. (laughs) And she's met me, who lives in Australia. Yeah, there we go. Rupert and Laura, who've basically never left Indiana, and Art and JJ, I don't know how well-traveled they are, but they did an entire season of Amazing Race, so reasonably well-traveled compared to Nicole. So you'd put money on Nicole and Victor losing this leg, so you would definitely gang up on anyone other than them, if you were smart. And Colin and Christy were set up for the kill in the final four leg. If um, Corey doesn't help Christy at that roadblock... They would have been gone, I think. There were so many things that went right for Colin and Christie in that leg, because, as you said to me earlier, Logan, if that detour wasn't so difficult in London, they would have gone. If Corey didn't help Christie at the roadblock, they would have gone. They were so lucky that this was a properly difficult leg 11. Yeah, like if it was almost any other leg of the season, or from any of the past five or six seasons, they would have been dead just from that alone. Yeah. And then to need help from Corey, and then have two out of the other, or all three teams switch detours, and they barely scraped by for a third place finish. Hmm. It was incredibly close to us losing the most iconic team ever to return. And then Corey helps her out at, or helps Colin and Christy out at the, for where to find the purple boots. Yeah. In some sort of discotheque. Yeah. So anyway, teams must now fly to London and find their next clue at the Gatwick Aviation Museum. And it's Colin and Christy leaving at 10.13, Corey and his partner leaving at 11.35, then Leo and Jamal at 1.20, and Nicole and Victor at 1.55. Which means that Colin and Christy had nearly an hour and a half lead over Corey and his partner. That's nuts. Oh, so they were waiting outside for them. Yes. That's weird. Why wouldn't she just go? Did they just know that they were going to be equalised with the flight? I think so, yeah. I mean, why wouldn't... What, but, oh, okay. I don't understand why you just go anyway. I suspect in that opening clue they were told that they would have to take a taxi back to uh, to Schiphol because there would be no trains at that time of night. Okay, yeah. And Colin says that he's been to London many times before... And Christy says that she wants an all-amazing race final three. And therefore, Nicole and Victor have got to go. And then Leo and Jamal talk about their Leg 11 curse. And they say that Japan, which is the first location of this season, and England, which is the last location of this season, were both places where they got eliminated previously. Something I hinted at in the preview. Mm -hmm. And Nicole and Victor are still bitter over the U-turn and want to send Leo and Jamal home in fourth again. And it gets a bit awkward at Schiphol. I like how... This is the second episode in a row where they use the discount airline, which I don't think has ever happened on the season of The Amazing Race before. Yeah, I think Logan kind of guessed what I was going to talk about here, but they've never flown into Gatwick before, ever. No! And the reason that I know this is because the last time we had a um, an Amazing Race finale start with a trip to England, they flew into Heathrow and then had to drive themselves to Liverpool which was completely and utterly pointless, and I mentioned it on the podcast at the time, because Liverpool has an airport where you could fly from Seville to. Definitely. So it's utterly pointless. They always fly into Heathrow. They flew out of Heathrow this time. They flew Heathrow to Detroit. 
So I'm not entirely sure why they flew to Gatwick unless that was the only place where they could get the helicopters to actually start from. Well, but it's a bit easier to get out of. Heathrow's just like a, a, no, a Gat- city. Gatwick, Gatwick is not easy to get out of. <laughs> Did you fly into Gatwick when you met me in London, Logan? I can't remember. Yeah, and then your parents' exact words is, I hate that you flew into Gatwick. <laughs> Why? But Gatwick's smaller. Gatwick is smaller, but it's also in a kind of awkward place in London. Well, I know where it is. My brother lives in the next suburb. Heathrow's kind of southwest London, but has very good transport links to the centre of London. Gatwick's kind of more southeastish and has a train, and that's it, and it's in the middle of nowhere otherwise. Your brother lives very close to where two of my relatives live, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah, we've discussed this before. Your brother lives in Bexhill, doesn't he? Yes. Where two of my aunties live. Oh, I don't know. I forgot that. I totally forgot that. Maybe maybe it is something to do with the, the helicopters. It can only be, because Gatwick is much closer to Dover, so if they wanted to do Dover, then it makes sense for them to fly into Gatwick. I'm just not sure why they would choose this point to fly into a different airport other than Heathrow. Mm. And once teams get to the helicopters, they find out they have to take a helicopter to Dover Castle, where they will find their next clue. And Leo says on his way there, he wants to buy a helicopter. Two million dollars, there you go. Just has to race it two more times. And everyone struggles to find a taxi because it's illegal to pick up a taxi off the street in England, which is true. What is that about? Why would they have to book a taxi at Gatwick? Like, it's crazy. No other airport does this. You walk out of an airport, you get into a taxi. You don't have to book one, you just have to call for one. And it's exactly the same wherever you are in England. They all have signs in the window saying they're only insured if if it's pre-booked. So if it's pre-arranged, either by phoning or ringing ahead to get a, a taxi to wait for you, then you're insured, otherwise you're not. And if there is an accident, you can't sue them. That's just the way it works. Why? It's just weird. It's not normal. So, once teams get to Dover Castle, it's a roadblock, which is who can't keep a secret. And in this roadblock, one team member must enter the castle grounds and decipher a code, which is the phrase, the Dunkirk evacuation has begun, we will never surrender, to get their next clue. And it is Leo, Christy, Victor and Corey doing this roadblock. I love castles. I love looking at aerial shots of castles and I paused it and I looked at, okay, how would people have been able to get in the castle back in like the 12th century? To be fair, they had a very good day to go to Dover Castle because Dover is a bit of a shithole. And I can say that having been to Dover quite a few times because obviously Dover's Calais is a very major route to get back to the continent. But Dover on a horrible day is a bit of a shithole. They got a very good day to go to Dover because the sun was out. And it it was during the, the heat wave that we had um, sort of the back end of June, early July last year that they went for this. So they got very lucky that A, they could actually fly helicopters down there and it was worth it aerial-wise, and B, that it was actually beautiful. Because normally, Dover's not beautiful. <laughs> well, I've been to Dover when it's been beautiful, but I can imagine it could be foggy and awful and pouring it's great it's basically just a port is dover um but the other element of this is the fact that dover castle's significance in the dunkirk effort really isn't that well known i actually had to google it afterwards because dover castle isn't the first place i would think of if you're doing a code breaking challenge bletchley park is which is in oxfordshire 
and is actually very close to the ancestral home of Winston Churchill, which has previously been pissed up. If you're going to do a code-breaking challenge, you either do it in Bletchley Park, which is where all of the code-breaking exercises basically took place in World War II, in the UK at least, or you do something up here in Manchester and do something about Alan Turing or any of the um, the AI stuff at Manchester Uni. That's where you do code-breaking challenges. You don't do it at somewhere like Dover Castle. Oh dear, they were very wrong then, weren't they, Michael? Well, no, because they <laughs> they did do a little bit of code-breaking in Dover Castle, but nowhere near as much as Bletchley Park. I would have expected Bletchley Park to be the place they did it at. When you said it was Winston Churchill's home, I mean, I went there, it was a huge estate. Do you mean it was his home, childhood home, or the big estate? No, Winston Churchill's ancestral home, which I can't even remember the name of off the top of my head, but that is very close to Bletchley Park, where they did a lot of the code-breaking, and where okay. um, some of the BBC operations were based until about two years ago. It was Bletchley Park. Mm. It's, it's the the home of, um, of British code-breaking, and basically the place that won the war. I like the idea of codes, but they... They make my brain implode because every time I've had to do a code on on a race, I just look at it and I want to do it really fast and my brain can't think that fast and I, just, I know I need to slow down, but I think I would have had like a, a Christie moment where I can't do this, I can't do it. I used to like codes and then I went on a TV program called The Code and now I hate them. <laughs> the numbers 836 will permanently haunt me. <laughs> I, I just think that's absolutely amazing that you had that number and it holds a very significant um, part of my life that number and it's just very weird and yet you should have told us beforehand michelle <laughs> i'm entirely blaming you been... here <laughs> so weird so weird and on the way into the challenge colin tells Corey that it's a code deciphering challenge and leo had just seen the film dunkirk so crack the code nice and quickly and leaves in first and teams must now fly back to London via the helicopter and find their next clue on a pier by the River Thames. Thames? Thames. Thames. Thames? Isn't that what Alyssa, say? oh, isn't that, isn't that what Alyssa would say? <laughs> if you ask Leo, it's Thames? it's Thames. But also, the even better thing is when they landed in London and asked where the Savoy Pier was, which I think is where they got the clue, someone said, oh yeah, just keep running down by the River Thames. And then he, he said it afterwards as Thames again. He was not listing. That's the bit that amused me about it. It's like he was in a highly pressured situation. <laughs> um, can I just say, when they got when Leo and Jamal got out of the chopper at... Get out of the chopper. Get down. Oh, well, he, Get he, down. Uh, he smiled at the camera. He was cheering at the camera. And not many times do the racers actually, except when they're doing interviews and they're in the, in the cabs, they're looking at the camera, but, like, they got out of the chopper and he was like cheering at the camera and I thought it just took me out of the race for a second it was different Leo and Jamal completely owned the air time for that final four leg yep because it was the last time they were actually going to be seen to be competent spoilers <laughs> they'll have to come back for a fourth time <laughs> redemption again and again We'll get into this with the Detroit leg, but if anyone knew anything about this, uh, about the finale leg, it was that Leo and Jamal completely and utterly biffed it. It's hilarious if you know the stories behind the Detroit leg, but you will in probably about 10 minutes. So as he's leaving the roadblock, Corey helps Christy, but she still struggles, and then Victor leaves in second with Corey leaving in third, and Christy says her knowledge of British history is lacking, and she gets it wrong. 
And then teams must now travel by speedboat to the Savoy Pier and then find a human statue in Piccadilly Circus to get their next clue. But did you see her first attempt at the code? The two words didn't even make sense. Yeah, it was terrible. She was in a very highly pressured situation, evidently. But Dunkirk, everyone knows the word Dunkirk, don't they? She had an extra letter in there. Yeah, I know. It's weird. What's what's Dunkirk? <laughs> was there wasn't there a famous battle named Dun Dunkirk? Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Sounds like a slur. And you go up to the British guy. He's like, "This is Dunkirk. That's a, that's utter gibberish." My lunch is getting cold. And once teams get to Piccadilly Circus, it is a detour, which is no or row. And in no, teams must memorise a cab journey one turn at a time, and if they can recite it, they get the next clue. And in row, teams must take part in what Phil claims is the UK's most prolific medal-winning sport at the Olympics, rowing. They have to row a two-person skiff down a 200-metre course in Hyde Park's Serpentine Lake in under a minute to get their next clue. Now, there's a bit of deliberate wording in that, because... Did you pick up on a subtle hint there? In what? In no or go? No or row? Yes, of course. Yeah, because if you think back to, oh, I don't know, the Switzerland legs, there was a particular rant that I had, and can you guys remember it? Oh, God, no, you rant all the time. There's a particular rant that I'm thinking of in that they claimed in the preview that Switzerland was the world's oldest democracy. Um, oh, yeah, two weeks. To point that out. Yeah. For two weeks, um, I had a little um, hate boner for that fact, shall we say? And then in this detailed description, Phil says that rowing is Team GB's most prolific medal-winning sport. And can you it's see the punchline here? <laughs> it's well, cycling. Here we go. <laughs> because it's time to play our first quiz of the day. Play your Team GB at the Olympics, yeah. right? <laughs> I knew it. I knew the quiz was going to be this. Like, something around here. Michelle, if you knew it, you could have revised it, because I've just taken the top view from Wikipedia, and we're going to play a game of play your Team GB at the Olympics, right? So I'm going to give you a medal-winning sport. You have to tell me whether Team GB have won more or less medals in the next sport. And we're going to start with Logan. So, we'll start with the sport that you actually mentioned, cycling, which Team GB have won 87 medals in. But have they won more or less medals in wrestling? <laughs> Bearing in mind, all of these are in the uh, about top 15, I think it is. We're only doing 10 of these, Michelle, don't worry. But My oldest brother was an Olympic uh, freestyle wrestler, and I don't recall there ever being any British competitors at any of the meets. So I think they won more medals in cycling. You would be correct. Team GB actually have won 17 medals in wrestling. That's more than what I was expecting. <laughs> I know. You, it's always it's Turkish and Iranians, usually, and Chinese. Michelle, have Team GB won more medals in athletics than they have in wrestling? No. Really? Okay. Uh, they've actually won 205 in athletics. Really? You guys are slow. Evidently not that slow. <laughs> God. Logan, have Team GB won more medals or less medals in boxing than they have in athletics. Athletics is 205, bear in mind. Okay. Oh, well, boxing, there's... Oh, no, there's all those divisions. No, but you see... I'm going to go with athletics, there's more medals. You would be correct again. Boxing is actually 56. 
Michelle, have Team GB won more or less medals in rowing than they have in boxing? Boxing is 56. Um, more in rowing? More in rowing is correct. It's 68. Oh which, God. bearing in mind, is less than both cycling and athletics. Logan, shooting, more or less than rowing. Rowing is 68. 68 and shooting. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Is it within, like, 10 medals? I'm not giving you any hints. You're winning. <laughs> uh, I'll say it's more in rowing. More in rowing than in shooting? You would be correct. It's actually 46 oh, in shooting. Yeah, there's not that many shooting events, and usually, was it, even North Korea, I think, picks up medals in shooting. Michelle, swimming, more or less than shooting. Shooting is 46. I was just thinking, give me swimming, give me swimming. <laughs> Um, but you've given me forty-six. Oh, jeez. I would say I would say less. more in swimming. Really? Oh, I'm saying less. I'm saying less. So less in swimming than shooting. God, yes. You would be wrong. You should have st- uh, stuck with what Logan said. It's seventy-four. Logan, canoeing yes. more or less than swimming? Canoeing? Yeah, canoeing. More or less than seventy-four. Oh, yeah, that's going to be less in canoeing. It's 17. Yeah, there's not many canoeing events. Michelle, sailing, more or less than 17? Mm, more. More, you would be correct. It's 58. Logan. Yeah, there's not there's not many countries who compete in sailing. Logan, uh, And yet tennis. they have a shitload of events. What's that? Tennis, more or less than 58. Ooh. This is a good one. Because there's how many tennis events at the Olympics? Is it just men's singles? It's singles men's doubles? and doubles, I think. So four four per Olympics? Mixed doubles as well, I think they probably play. And what was it being compared to? Uh, it is 58 for sailing. 58 for sailing. I'm going to say tennis has less. Tennis does have less. It's 43. I like I know British are good at it, but because there's only four events, there's way more sailing events, and few, relatively few countries compete in sailing. And Michelle, to round out the round, equestrian events more or less than tennis? What was tennis? Forty-three. Did you say round out the round? Yes. Yeah. I was hoping you wouldn't. Um, more. 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 You would be wrong. It's thirty-five. What? Are you kidding me? But you're always riding around on horses. I know, we have this reputation of being good at equestrian <sighs> events, but actually we've only won 35 medals. Oh, God, did, did I you get did sh- very badly. Yeah, did you get every single one wrong, Michelle? No, I didn't. No, okay. it was a score of 5-2. Logan got a clean sweep, <laughs> and Michelle got two points there. The bad news for Michelle is that scores will carry over to the next two rounds, but there is, there are, how many more points? There's 15 points each left, I think, that you can get. So it's all to play for. Mm. Michelle sounds so happy about that. <laughs> is this the opposite of whose line is it anyway, where points actually matter? Yeah, points actually matter because the winner after three rounds will get to pick which Colin and Christy image gets used as the banner. And it's deliberately phrased so that Michelle can't loophole the shit out of it if she wins. Mm. And which detail would you have picked? Would you have picked no or row? They were both a nightmare. Both a nightmare. You know, as I spoke to you last night about the cabbies thing, the knowledge, because they that test is insane of what they have to do. And, you know, when we'd get into cabs here in Australia and, and my dad, who is English for the tens of listeners, he would 
if we had a cabbie that didn't know where they were going, he would bring up the knowledge, wouldn't he, every single time and say, in England they have to do this and this and this and why aren't you made to do any of this? So I've grown up knowing this trivia fact and I would be scared at both but I think I would do the rowing because that 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 cab one was just intense. Yeah, I think being completely and utterly unphysically fit, I would have had to go for no. But like you said, I'm well aware of the knowledge and I would have been very intimidated by it. Yeah. What would you have done, Logan? I think I would have gone for the memory challenge. I couldn't I couldn't see myself doing well with with uh, rowing a boat. The other element for me is the fact that I would have not wanted to swim in the Serpentine Lake in Hyde Park. It's not as bad as the River Thames, but also I still would not have wanted to go anywhere near that lake. <laughs> you just don't put your head under the water. Oh, God. <laughs> it's, it's time for a game, Michael. Which river would you want to swim um... Would I want to swim in? <laughs> it wouldn't be the Thames, put it that way. I've seen a lot of the River Thames and I, I'm repulsed. Look, you take that river over the one that goes through Bangkok. What about, what about the Ganges? Oh, the Ganges, yeah, which is the <laughs> world's dirtiest river. I was thinking of the Ganges. I wonder if that's what caused Kenton Vixen's uh, breakup. It's like, oh, you swam in the Ganges. You're forever unclean. Unclean, unclean. <laughs> Out damn spot. <laughs> so Christy leaves the roadblock in last, and... The judge says he hopes it's good. He was called away from his lunch for this. And she cries in the helicopter, but Colin puts his hand over her heart and comforts her. And if you didn't know they win when you watch that episode, you do now. Because that is a classic winner scene of just her bawling her eyes out and Colin comforting her and saying, don't worry, we're still going to win. And he was right. And Leon Jamal commits the Michelle Pierce Denovan rule of switching to no... And the no challenge is 7 points of interest and 15 street signs to memorise. Which, whilst it is a lot less than the actual knowledge, which is over a million points of reference, it's still very intimidating to do that. Especially as, on their first attempt, they get one right. She really isn't well-travelled, is she, when you don't know how to say the word Gloucester? No. But then I I think back to Amazing Race Canada 2. Yes, there used to be an Amazing Race Canada. I know, I'm as surprised as you are. When there was the cheese challenge in Quebec, and I think it was Megan who pronounced it uh, Gloucestershire. Mm. Gloucestershire? It was Gloucester, yeah. I was thinking of Glaucomashire. <laughs> I know we took the piss out of that a lot. That would be that would be more of a lol thing. <laughs> On that subject, congratulations to uh, Lowell and Andrew for becoming the Canadian time trial champions today. Yeah. Proud Big of ups him. to him. Friends of the podcast. He's got shout-outs in two successive podcasts now, as well as one to himself last year. You know what, Nicole, not only has Nicole, is she not well-traveled internationally, but clearly she hasn't been to uh, Massachusetts to know about Gloucester. That was the starting line of season 17. It was. Fact fans. Ron and Tony, they they ran out of there quickly. And that was nearly... Half of the Amazing Race ago now. That season is very nearly the first half of Amazing Race. Yeah, I guess season 16 with Dan and Jordan would be the halfway point. Yeah. God, we've been watching this a while. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. 
So everyone does really badly on the water, and I mean really badly. That is so narrow. I had never noticed that they were so narrow. When you watch them in the Olympics, they're just like gliding along, and I don't know, you never get to see them up close. They, I don't know, that balancing was, was hard to begin with, but then, you know, Colin Christie got it. To be fair, on the Olympics they are competently rowed. Mm, I, I understand that. Yes, it's their profession. <laughs> but seriously, they're so narrow. And I, I, I laughed. Every time someone fell in, I just laughed. Given that the one team to succeed at this was Colin and Christy, with Christy literally holding the oars up so she didn't get in Colin's way. I know. <laughs> that wasn't working very well for her. Which was a wonderful metaphor for their Season 5 relationship. She just holds the oar up and doesn't get in his way. He just bulldozes through it. He's like an ox in a china shop. And Leo and Jamal are the first to leave. Uh, no. And teams must now make their way to Camden Market and find Phil. Camden Market is the pit stop for this leg of the race. The last team to check in will be the final team to be eliminated from the race. I have another Olympic piece of tri- another piece of Olympic trivia for you, Michael. Let's see if you can get this one. Um, who has won more me- Olympic medals in rowing? Uh, England or Afghanistan? I mean, obviously, I'm going to say Team GB have won more, given that we've got multiple people with five gold medals in rowing. But I feel like Afghanistan is probably going to end up being the correct answer just to, you know, make me even more humiliated. I don't think we have to wiki it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to guess Team GB purely because I know of at least two people who've won five gold medals. It's the same reason if you're going to go with a sport that Team GB are good at, you go with cycling mainly because of the fact that I think a British cyclist has won the last, like, four Tour de France's, and we've won an insane amount of medals. I work very near what's nicknamed the Medal Factory, which is the Manchester Velodrome, where um, Team GB basically are based. And there are, like, six or seven people in the Team GB squad for cycling who've won five or more medals at uh, an Olympic Games. I'm very curious if Afghanistan has ever had an Olympic rowing team at all. I doubt it. Because I'm like, well, Leo and Jamal, you're the Afghanimals. Why are you choosing rowing? There's there's nowhere to row in Afghanistan. It's all mountains. It's all mountains and poppy fields. And sweet, sweet opium. Yes, exactly. The milk of the poppy. And Corey and his partner leave knowing second. And his partner says, I'm just glad there's no more challenges. At which point we cut to Leo and Jamal appearing at the pit stop and Phil going, uh, no, I want more stuff. <laughs> and you were saying, Michael, that people thought this was a head-to-head? Yeah, there was a rumour that it was going to be a double battle because, um, obviously, as you can see at Camden Market, there were a lot of people taking pictures. There were quite a few distributed of Phil with clues in his back pocket. There was a lot of photos of Camden Market because that was that's the only pit stop photos that I saw that I was spoiled on because there was just everyone was there and it was everywhere on social media. Yeah, it was a very public pit stop, this one. Um, and it's also a former uh, Hammer at Slim Million um, task location, fun fact. But yeah, it was heavily spoiled, the... Um, the final check-in order of this uh, this leg. I love that he whispered. But anytime you see a picture of Phil with clues in his back pocket, it usually now means that there is a double battle involved, which is why everyone thought there was a double battle. 
Because that is what happened in both Vietnam and Uganda. So there are eight items tagged with race levels hidden in the market, and teams must bring them back to the pit stop and set up a display, as per the example, to be able to check in. And with a time of 59 seconds, Colin and Christy leave row in third, and Nicole and Victor leave no in last. And the only highlight I have from the entire Camden Market Challenge is Leo startling a guy when he spots the lamp. <laughs> I felt so bad. <laughs> it was very, very funny. <laughs> so, Leo and Jamal checking in first, and they break their curse of leg 11. And then Corey and his partner checking in second, but because they're in a public place, Phil whispers, evidently knowing that Reality Fan Forum are all around him at that point. <laughs> Colin and Christy checking in third, and Nicole and Victor are eliminated. It's funny, he should have like told like personal secrets about himself when he's whispering. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing women's underwear. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I wonder I wonder if he knows any of the regular reality fan forum people and he just recognises them. Oh, I'm sure production keep an eye on RFF to see what they know. Because, like, Pe- <laughs> Peach knows all the locations before anyone else. I don't know how she does it. Mm. Yeah, like, she knows... It's Usually it's, like, weeks before when she tells me to go to Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> and she knows oh where God. in Vancouver they're going. She just summons you. She does. She summons me at like 3 and 4 a.m. Are you there? Are you awake? Are you awake? However, the finale of this season is probably the most heavily spoiled leg I have ever seen. Because even if I didn't know the finishing order, which I did, literally every task of this leg was spoiled. To the point where there were actually press at the roadblock. There is a wonderful article by one of the Detroit papers who interviewed Jamal as he is waiting for Leo to return. And there's a picture of Jamal stood at the Spirit of Detroit statue waiting for him. And he looks depressed. Yeah, I'm not surprised. They spent over two hours at that roadblock. Like, they need to change the country from Afghanistan to Afghanistan because he needs some Prozac, clearly. So teams must now fly to Detroit and Michigan, and once there they have to find the Spirit of Detroit statue to find the next clue. And it's Leo and Jamal leaving at 3.53am, Corey and his partner at 4.13am, and Colin and Christy at 4.29. And Leo and Jamal setting the leg appearance record is finally mentioned. Yay! I like how the first task on this final leg for the like Detroit's very first Amazing Race appearance is to commit a crime. A robbery. <laughs> the only crime that has been committed in the past few days is my heart was stolen by a uh, Labrador puppy in the lift at work today. It was adorable. It was a black. You lab- need a dog. I know. I really do. I'm hopefully with my my job change. I'm going to be able to start working from home soon, and I will probably get a dog to keep me company. And there was a black lab puppy in the lift, and he knew how cute he was, and he was very, 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 very cute. And I wanted to stay in the lift and just um, show him attention. Basically, I even said to his mum, he's adorable and he knows it. And she just went, oh, I know, but he's so cute, isn't he? And then had to get out and go back to work. And it was terrible. And Corey and his partner are both from Michigan, which is a hometown advantage. And if we've seen anything of Amazing Race, hometown advantages always work out well. And Colin and Christy say that getting to the top three this time is much better than last time. Last time they had youth and this time they have wisdom. Mm, I like that. 
And one thing I did notice, but it wasn't actually acknowledged on the episode, is that Leon Jamal and Corey and his partner both checked their bags in. They were not running with bags, unlike Colin and Christy, who were running with a backpack. Colin actually checks in with a backpack. Hmm. What did Colin and Christy think they need? Well, the thing is, they're doing a favour for their friend because they have Mark's medicine and his clothes, and they just wanted to return them to him, basically. That's karma. That's that's the love going around the universe. Putting the love in the universe to just help help out their best into, friend Mark. into Kentucky. If anyone needs love, it's it's Kentucky. So once teams get to the Spirit of Detroit statue, it's the final roadblock of the season. Who's good with numbers? And in this roadblock, one team member must repel 500 feet face first down a skyscraper and keep an eye out for a series of numbers on the way down, which will then unlock a safe containing their next clue. And it is Leo, Corey's partner, and Colin doing this roadblock. And I have to ask the question, do you know who I would have loved to see do this challenge? Oh, here we go. Oh, I don't know. Micah? The person who... <laughs> I mean, the usual suspect, Scott Flannery, would have been amazing. Mel White, obviously. Lowell would have been hilarious. <laughs> His skin would have fallen. Just from pure gravitational force. To quote Bo Burnham, here's a haiku. Old people's skin sags because it is being drawn towards the underworld. Yeah, the usual suspects, Mel White, Scott, Lowell would have been great at this challenge. But obviously, the answer is Rachel. And for the final time this season, what do we know about Rachel, guys? Well, she's many things. She is. And... The question, what do we know about Rachel, is actually quite a pertinent one, because there's no Rachel job list this week. I'm going to test your knowledge of Rachel. Oh, God. In the wonderfully titled, and I have to give credit to Anthony Williams for this, Lives of Riley. <laughs> so all you've got to do in a play your democracies slash Team GB at the Olympics right style is tell me whether you heard the Rachel job before or after the previous one. What? <laughs> Insane. So I'm go- I'm going to give you a week that it, that the job appeared in the list. You have to tell me whether the second job I give you was before or after that one. This oh, it's like a Big Brother challenge. This is a Big Brother challenge. Yeah, it's basically a big uh, a before or after. And I've been really nice. I have put some in from the same weeks, and I've not put them together. So it is straight is before great. or after. And Michelle, you as always will probably say, "Oh, but you didn't give me any warning. I, I could have revised for this." You can't... Oh, I could have if I'd written everything down from the last, what, ten episodes. Last week, I was very nice. I warned you there were quizzes coming. And I also repeatedly said that we had 261 Rachel jobs. I must have said it three or four times, and I thought you might have picked up on it. But no! So, Michelle, we're going to start with you. The first one is Romance Novelist, which appeared in week seven. But did I call Rachel a galactic hitchhiker before or after week seven? Before. Before is correct. I'm proud of you. Oh, Jesus. It was actually week six. <laughs> Logan. Yes. Good luck, Logan. <laughs> was Rachel dubbed a professor of pseudoscience before or after galactic hitchhiker? Galactic hitchhiker was week six. What was happening in week six? <laughs> <laughs> Week six, I believe, was the one after Uganda, so it's the first Switzerland leg. Okay, let's see. My I only the, have these my... written down in podcast weeks, by the way, so um, we are going to have to do a bit of quick maths to work out actually what leg it was, if you ask me. 
the hundreds of hours that I've spent researching Olympics is not going to help me here. I love how you correctly predicted what my uh, my first quiz would be, because that one was genuinely a last-minute decision. I heard Phil say uh, that Team GB had won most medals in rowing, and went, no, they haven't. Cycling is definitely ahead. Anyway, Professor of Pseudoscience, Logan, before or after Galactic Hitchhiker? Before. Before is correct. It was in the fake podcast. And I very nearly said, did you call Rachel a professor of pseudoscience before or after Galactic Hitchhiker? But I thought that would give it away. Michelle. Golem's Summoner. Was that before or after Professor of Pseudoscience? Which was the fake recap in week five. Mm, after. After is correct. It was actually oh. it was week six again. This is good. Logan, <laughs> female impersonator impersonator before or after Golem Summoner? What week was it? Uh, week six for Golem Summoner. I'll say after. Oh, you're wrong. It was actually oh. in the preview. It was one of the very first ones that Bindles came up with. And I will also say, I have deliberately not picked um, ones for you guys one week on weeks you weren't here. So, Michelle, you won't be disadvantaged by the fact you weren't here on the preview or the fake recap. Okay. Because I'm nice. I actually do, contrary to popular belief, these things are quite well planned. Uh, Michelle, can, <laughs> Candy Store Manager, before or after the preview? Oh, after. <laughs> yeah, duh. It's week two. <laughs> <laughs> you got a really easy one there. Logan, truly choosy carpet chooser, before or after week two? <laughs> after. I love some of these. I've picked some of my favourites of this list. <laughs> After's correct, it was week four. Michelle, naked naturopath, before or after week four? Mm, gosh, this this is close for me, I think. I don't, oh, <laughs> don't want to get it wrong. Fun fact, one of the alternate titles for this quiz was uh, Have You Been Reaching Attention? But uh, then we got Lives of Riley, which was a great one. I don't think the Lives of Riley started right at the beginning, did it? Yeah, it did. It's been the one running joke all season, yeah, because she had a ridiculous bio and I I added about 20 things to her bio. Before? Before week four, you would be incorrect. It was week eight. Oh, Jesus! (laughs) I love doing quizzes with Michelle because she gets so <laughs> in, unbelievably competitive on these. I, I hate losing I know you do. anything. But you are losing Just at the moment. Only by two points, God. but you're losing. Crazy. Logan Saunders, was Cannibal Nibbler before or after week eight? <laughs> what week is this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> there are no fake ones in here. This is week ten, this podcast. This is the most so, insane thing. <laughs> Just wait till the last quiz, Michelle. You're gonna hate me. Oh. I think I think last week we said that one. Or I, I feel like it was last week. I was laughing about it. Okay, so you think it's after then? Yep. You would be wrong. It was actually in the double episode of week five and six. So that means I made that one up. No, this was this wasn't the fake one. This was the uh, the actual real one that Michelle joined us for. Uh, this is the actual Dubai Uganda double leg. Michelle, your last one of this round is competitive eater before or after week five. After. Oh, it's before. It was actually in week <gasps> one. Really? Was there? There must have been another eating one then, recently. If you remember, I talked about Bindle's themes. His first week theme was actually former Amazing Race occupations. And <sighs> Logan, to God. finish up the round, phlebotomist before or after week one. Isn't that easy? Isn't that an easy give? No, because it could be in the preview. 
Yeah, yeah, I understand that, but he's picking between one and eight. Like, seriously. I mean, the odds are probably in his favour to get this correct if it is later. You're mean. You're mean. Michelle, you got a an absolute gimme of one. Don't bitch at me for this. <laughs> I'll say... Bottomist. I'm going to say before. You think it was in the preview? You would be wrong. It was in week three. <laughs> mm. You weren't being a dick after all. I wasn't being a dick. I actually... I gave you both pretty fair lists there, deliberately. So, the running scores at the moment is Logan is on seven points, Michelle is on five, because she won that round. So it is all to play for with ten points each available in the final round. <sighs> it's a double point final round, it's almost like I deliberately planned this. So, at the roadblock, Leo keeps his hat on under the helmet, which is weird, and Colin says he's super scared of heights, which makes things like this super fun. I can identify with that. Yeah, exactly. You would, If there was any roadblock you would not want to do, I think this would probably be up there on my list. I'd love it. Oh, I, I'm not good at abseiling anyway, and abseiling face first while trying to look for numbers just isn't a good one for me. They were just basically letting them down, though. They weren't even having to hold the rope or anything. <laughs> it was I, an amazing building. They were doing it super slowly, though, so having to do 500 feet... Basically, hanging face first down, not appealing to me. I was tensing up just watching it. And Corey's partner struggles to walk down the building, unlike Colin, which allows Colin to get ahead. And Leo has the right numbers, but can't unlock the vault. And Colin opens his fist. And teams must now head to a rando warehouse and play two rounds of foaling, a Detroit sport involving throwing an American football at ten pins. Once the teams clear two sets of pins, they get their next clue. From Scott and Blair. Daddy! And Colin and Christy lose their cab, which allows Corey and his partner to catch up. And Colin and Christy get stressed at their driver. The old Colin and Christy return, briefly. But they reel themselves in in such a peaceful way. I know all season we've said that we're just waiting for Colin and Christy to blow up, but I think the entire season was leading up to this point, where we start with the London leg or the England leg, where they where Christy breaks down and Colin manages to calm her. But then Christy goes in on their driver after the roadblock, and Colin manages to completely defuse his tension. If that had happened 15 years ago, the driver <laughs> would have just shut them out. 100%. Mm. Especially in Detroit. That would be best case scenario for Detroit. I mean, this is Detroit. They could have bought the entire cab for the price of a VCR. <laughs> you know what I want to know? When you know production was getting this race ready... And they wanted to find a bank that had three identical vaults. How hard was that? Is that a normal thing? I suspect they were probably aware of it and deliberately planned it for their first. Mm. It's amazing. Three identical ones. And also, this is the point where, because Leo screws up this roadblock so much, Leo and Jamal spend over two hours at this roadblock. They were very far behind. Yes. No wonder he sat down on the floor. Yeah, I know it looks like they were far behind, but they spent over two hours here. They spent long enough here that a Detroit newspaper could actually interview Jamal and post pictures of him and Colin and Christie and Corey and his partner running through Detroit. I think Jamal asked to be interviewed just out of pure boredom. 
He's like, can somebody find me a news reporter? I want to talk to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, the following challenge is boring as all hell, so we're just going to move on to the next one, which is that teams have to head to Third Man Records and press five Amazing Grace finals to get their next clue. But in reality, they actually didn't go there first. They had to go to the Heidelberg Project, where there was an unaired memory challenge. Wait, wait a minute. What about falling? I said falling was boring, so I don't want to talk about it. Oh, my God. Okay. It's people throwing an American football backwards and forwards, and and they didn't even complete the entire challenge because they just seemed to have been able to go when they knocked down one set of fins, which was contrary to the instructions. I thought it was when they were supposed to knock down both. Phil said they had to both knock down a set of pins, and yet both Colin and Christy and Corey and his partner left after just one set was knocked down. They thought, oh, bugger it. We'll just let them go. <laughs> but how bad was Corey at throwing that ball and trying to hit things? He was terrible. It was crazy. Unlike Colin, who, seeing as though he's a dad, probably has done a lot of throwing a throwing and catching in American football, but he was laser-focused with that. He managed to get nine on his first attempt. Literally, that was amazing. Mm. He was was centred. I know I love Colin and Christie, but this was a really good leg for Colin and Christie. And Leo despairs at not being able to solve the roadblock. He actually sits on the vault floor and thinks, and then finally leaves the roadblock in last when he realises what the instructions were. I like with the falling, I have to point out one thing about the falling challenge is because Detroit lost half of their population over the past 10 years, I think it was. I think it went from 1.6 million now it's 700,000 people in Detroit. Really? I remember looking it up a couple of years ago. Yeah. So they've lost over half the popula- population. So they've all this empty housing and empty neighborhoods and warehouses and stuff. So I think... It's just all been taken over by falling because you just got to put something in there. All you need is a mattress and put the pins on there and an American football. And there you go. Now you have a use for those empty warehouses because there's a lot of them. Take a look at both of our buildings. (laughs) The real estate agent. It's like, oh, man, this is a tough housing market. No one wants to live here. But hey. We will knock down the price of this house if you knock down some pins. <laughs> but yeah, after the falling, there was actually an unaired memory challenge at the Heidelberg Project. There was a field full of clue boxes, and for some reason, they completely unaired it. Did it make any difference to the standings that um, you know of? Well, as I said to you, I know that getting to the Hart Plaza challenge, Colin and Christy were four minutes ahead according to Reality Fan Forum, because I did look this up yesterday uh, purely so that I could be the know-it-all who knew all these sort of things. But, uh, yeah, Colin and Christy were only four minutes ahead getting into Hart Plaza. And how far wow. ahead was was um, Corey and his friends lead um, for going from falling to the memory challenge? Um, I don't know about that. I know, I know Corey and his partner were about an hour and a half ahead of Leo and Jamal by the end. So, yeah, Corey and his partner get two records accepted, Colin and Christy get all five in one go and leave them first, and teams must now head to Hart Plaza and find their next clue amongst the musicians playing there. And are you aware of the story about the Hart Plaza challenge, Logan? Well, I knew it before, I think even before they even filmed the final, before the leg even happened, where they had the summon for, because I think it was on Reddit that we both were 
discussing it? Every single person who knew anything about this season knew that Detroit was going to be the final location because they had to put in a filming permit, which got rejected. (laughs) Seriously, it's, it's the only time Amazing Race has ever had a filming permit rejected that I'm aware of. The Michigan Department of Natural Resources rejected their permit to have lots of musicians as they didn't realise how many musicians it was going to be, so it got scaled back from about 700 musicians to about 100. Wow, 700. Are you kidding me? Is that is that fact? Yep, that's fact. How much louder would it have been? They were all going to be playing Seven Nation Army, but the reason that this entire leg was spoiled is because not only did we have the Michigan Press interviewing Jamal at the roadblock location and posting pictures of Colin and Christy and Corey and his partner, <laughs> But on top of that, we also have the added bonus of the fact that this took place in basically Detroit's biggest plaza, which was all cordoned off because of the musicians, and everyone saw Colin and Christie and Corey and his partner enter and leave. Everyone knew the timings, everyone knew who the final three were, and it was ridiculously spoiled. That's the last time they'll do that, probably. It was so funny. Hey, but they had um, four drum kits up. So do you think Nicole and Victor did that? But then they can't really do that because they would have had to be at the the, the pit stop, at the finale, like at the finish line. So they've scaled back the decoy team's thing now. It is It tends to be the fourth place and maybe fifth place during um, the last couple of legs as kind of testers, but they get in beforehand. Mm, like they must be doing half the challenges and then all of a sudden they have to get to yeah. the finish line like they can't even do they wouldn't have been able to do the drum kit one no they they just kind of race as, as decoys so mm. i still love the amazing race asia five story that jk and mike told me where the teams were doing the eliminated teams were being the testers for the final memory challenge for that final challenge for season five like the night, no, the morning of that they filmed it. They're like, we don't even know if this challenge works. Can you guys try it out in the hotel rooms? And then I think they, I think they said, wow, this is just impossible. And they had to make modifications that same day before the final three did it. And the final three said it still took them several hours. I love that Amazing Race Asia Five was just such a mess, but such a brilliant season. It's genuinely a top ten season for me, just because. You can see that it's tied together with a shoestring, but it's actually a really good season and very well cast. It's all, yeah, it was awesome. Did you um, notice, I know this is a very small thing and doesn't really affect anything on the race, but the flags at the drum challenge when they did the the um, sort of the back view of it all, they had the flags in an order of the rainbow and the, the blue and the purple weren't in their right spots. I just thought it was really weird. I picked it up, and then I thought, okay, this is a really silly little thing I picked up. I'm going to say, Michelle, this is the sort of detail I will never notice because I'm slightly colorblind. <laughs> I would oh, never no, have noticed that's it. right, yes. I, I thought, have... God, I wonder if Michael noticed this. I would never have noticed it, I'm afraid. It was It was actually the flag of the Seychelles. Detroit has a big <laughs> Seychellian community. So, once teams get to Heart Plaza, it's the final active route info of the race, which is assembling a five-piece drum kit while the musicians play Seven Nation Army over and over and over again. And Seven Nation Army, obviously written by Detroit native Jack White, 
was Rolling Stone's pick for the best riff of the 21st century. And if they build it correctly, they get their next clue. What would it have been like with 700? Uh, it would have been absolute cacophony. They were meant to um, take over not just Heart Plaza, but like a pontoon across the river, I think, as well. Because the original plan was that the finish line was going to be on an island right near Heart Plaza. And then because of the filming permits being rejected, they had to relocate it to Old Fort Wayne. Hmm. And Corey's brothers both play drums, so he has a natural advantage, as he does from the fact that he's in Michigan again, and, you know... Bold. <laughs> yeah, he used to be in a bowling league. Basically, his entire leg was set up for him to win, and he still didn't. He couldn't knock down all the pins. And after well over an hour of building their drum kits, genuinely, it was so long, the musicians actually had to take a five-minute break. Uh, Colin Christie leave in first and find out that they have to now head to Old Fort Wayne, the finish line for this race. The first team to arrive will win a million dollars. And this was all Christie. Yeah, this was all Christie. And for the people who were worried at the start of the season that Colin and Christie would not be able to survive in a race where Christie had to do equal amounts of work, this is your answer. Christie won them the race, basically. And I think even the straight, like when they were. About to have their old school breakdown with a cab driver, Christy was a hundred percent right in that situation. She's like, she was like, yeah, you can't talk over me. Then we look even crazier. We already have a <laughs> reputation coming into this race of being crazy. Don't make me look yeah. crazier. <laughs> and Corey and his partner leave in second by about forty-five to sixty minutes. It was not close in the slightest. As I said, really? a few, as I said a few weeks ago on the podcast. It was nowhere near as close as it's going to appear to be. It was, depending on who you ask on RFF, it was somewhere between 45 and 60 minutes that um, Colin Christie left ahead of them. But you know what? The sun was going, obviously the sun was going down, the shadows were really long by the time um, Liam and Jamal got there. Do you know what the time was between Daddy? Oh, she's finally said it after... How many? An hour and 14 minutes, Michelle. I'm impressed it's took you that long. God! And it's going to get replaced okay. by the word daddy. <laughs> okay. Um, what was I saying? Okay, by the time um, the third team arrived, how long was it between second and third? Uh, I know that Leo and Jamal were at the roadblock for about two hours so I think they were probably about an hour and a half to two hours behind, but I don't know exactly how long. But if you look at the sunlight, the sunlight between second and third wasn't that too dissimilar because when second was coming in, you could tell the sun was going down. That was that, that special sort of light. And um, and then when the third came, that light was still there. There was no sightings of them at Third Man Records or at the Heidelberg Project or at um, Heart Plaza. So I don't know exactly how long it was between them. What do you mean? They didn't do those tasks? I have a feeling that they probably didn't exactly do those tasks because they were so far behind. I think they probably took them there in a taxi and said, just pretend that you've done this challenge and then moved them on to the next location. Right, okay. So, even though I knew and have known for nearly 12 months now, because we're recording this on the 28th of June, and they filmed this finale on the 3rd of July. Even though I've known for the best part of a year now that they win, I was still very panicky that maybe their cab driver screwed them over, 
And I was also so excited when they turned that corner, realised that nobody had arrived yet and had won the race. How on earth did you keep this quiet for so long? We'll get to that. But yeah, even though I knew they won, I got goosebumps when they turned that corner. And finally got their Amazing Race Redemption after 15 years. Because the potential that comes from this is amazing. And I know we're going to get into this in deep detail fairly soon in terms of Colin and Chrissy's impact because they are the winners and purely because they returned it's great but because they came back and won and actually did better than they did last time even though they were 15 years older I mean Christie's in her 40s now you don't tend to get many winners especially female winners who are in their 40s or above anymore mm. I genuinely cannot actually think of the last female winner who was in her 40s they don't even cast people in their 40s anymore even that's rare but the impact that Colin and Christie have by being away for 15 years, having a complete personality change over the past seven years, and then coming back and dominating the race, and being one placement point from the best all-star average ever. If they had got second or above in that leg 11, they would have the best average. The fact that they can do that after 15 years just opens up the entire Amazing Race All-Star idea again. Because obviously I'm vehemently against All-Stars ever again. They really screwed it up with 24. But if Colin and Christie winning means that we have to have another All-Star season, but it is chock full of old school teams, I'm going to be less angry about it. <laughs> because genuinely there are some Amazing Race legends who you could bring back now that Colin and Christie have proved that it can be done and they can easily win. Mm. It's the only one, they only wanted to take a chance on one team because, I mean, we did the summer interviews where so many teams said, oh, yes, I was contacted and I was really close, but then they cut me. Now those teams may actually make that final cut. But who was cut for Colin and Christie? Because as we discussed last week, Colin and Christie were only actually on the season four weeks in advance. Mm, I'd like to know who was cut. That's an interesting question if we can find that out. So, yeah, second place is Corey and his partner. No one cares. Uh, and third is Leo and Jamal, who have cemented their place in the record books. And Phil does finally mention their records at the finish line. Pretty much his leg wins record is the only major stat that they don't own. Yeah, leg wins record is actually now shared between Colin and Christie and Corey and his partner, because they both have nine. And those three teams won, and combined with Beck and Floyd, won every single leg this season. Yep. And Leo and Jamal, I think, have won six six legs, I think, now. I think they won two two in 23, one in 24, and then uh, obviously three this season. And none of those three teams were ever saved by a non-elimination. And, yeah, it's really pleasant to finally be at the end of this season because it's been a really weird one. Obviously, this is the complete antithesis of last season, where we had a pretty, a pretty crap season, for want of a better term, ruined entirely by who won because there was no repercussions for their terrible actions. This season, it was all right. It wasn't great. It was okay, but it's entirely redeemed by the winners. <laughs> yeah, oh, I dread to think what you think, though. But if you if, if someone else had won, I dread to think what you would think of it. If second place had won, I wouldn't be doing this podcast. <laughs> I wouldn't have done the season. I genuinely would not have done the season if they'd won. 
But you would you didn't know this two one. No, I did. If the roles had been reversed and they had left an hour ahead of Colin and Christie, I wouldn't be covering the season. Oh my lord. Okay. I had this conversation with Logan a few weeks ago that because he kind of knew that they didn't win purely because mm. of the edit. I had this conversation that if they had won, I wouldn't be doing this podcast 100%. I would have sat this one out because I'm knackered after 39 podcasts in 26 weeks. And I've oh. been dying for this season to end. So <laughs> so you can rest. I'm very happy it's here now. And I'm very happy that we've managed to get through it. I'm super excited that we get to talk about Colin and Christie redeeming themselves and nearly getting the all-star average record, definitely getting the leg win record, and definitely redeeming themselves after 15 years. This season, for me, is the most extreme of, like, a season that was just super repetitive, fairly sloppy with production, and just doing all of the things that makes me annoyed by New Amazing Race, and we all know I'm not a fan of returning seasons, so that's like on one end of the spectrum. And then to cancel that out, the team that everybody wanted to win preseason ends up winning. It's like the two cancel out. So now you have an average season. Yeah. It'd be like if Sandra won Game Changers is how I would compare it. And I, I think this moves in nicely to the one thing that is different about this finale that I want to talk about, which is the fact that I did know everything. I knew the boot order. I knew the locations. I obviously knew Colin and Christie were 99% going to win. So I was a little bit panicked when, you know, I heard that they had a bit of cab trouble in the finale. What did you know, Logan? Because we kind of skirted around the edges of it this season. I just knew that. Remember the Uganda pictures? There was a few teams shown there. You you knew Tyler and Corey made it to Uganda. Yes, and I think I saw... Did I see Colin Christie in Uganda pictures? I don't think so. There's like a couple teams. Colin and Christie were not seen between Dubai and um, Kampen. Okay. Because I was off of the the guy from uh, Kenya who follows our podcast and my blog. If I remember rightly, you knew Leo and Jamal made it to Final 3, and you knew Tyler and Corey made it to Uganda. Yeah, it was some random Twitter account that somebody followed me, and I clicked on their account... And they're like, oh, this is Leo and Jamal leaving the location Detroit. (laughs) And this was like eight months ago. I'm like, son of a bitch. (laughs) Michelle, what did you know about the season? I had nothing because I didn't want to look on RFF. And I wanted to be totally fresh. The only thing I knew was that they went to London because I saw the Camden Valley, Camden Markets um, photos. Oh, no, wait a minute. I saw the photos, but then when I saw the first, when I saw the team that was there, I thought I conveniently forgot about it, actually. So I had no idea who got to the final when I started watching this year. I think you're both forgetting something because you knew the entire boot order. Is this a quiz starting right now? No, no, (laughs) genuinely, hand on heart, you guys knew the entire boot order. Why? Because you actually told it to us. You know what you did? I know what you did. What did it? Maybe on the preview or the first episode, you read out the teams and you read them in the boot order. Have you guys got your chat open? I'm going to send you a picture. I want you to describe to the listeners what I've sent you. Oh, my God. You did not. What? What did I do, Michelle? Ha! What have I I sent you guys? You put them in order, the all the banners for the podcasts. You put them in the boot order. 
No, you didn't. No, you didn't. No, wait a minute. Yes, I did. Uh, but Leo and Jamal are in there. Hang yeah, on. yeah. Think about it logically, Michelle. Oh, describe. Oh, I see. <laughs> so, I've just sent a picture of all of our banners for the weeks leading up to this podcast to Logan and Michelle. In week one, it was Rupert and Laura on the banner. In week two, it was Corinne and Eliza. Week three was Colin and Christy. Week four was Janelle and Brittany. Week five, Art and JJ. Week actual five, Rachel and Alitha. Week six, Leon Jamal. Week seven, Chris and Brett. Week eight, Becca and Floyd. And week nine was Nicole and Victor. Yeah, but it's not in order. It is in order, Michelle. It's just in order if you pay attention a little bit more. Because if you take out the non-elimination legs in that, it's in boot order. Um, let me just looking at it. If you look at the nomination uh, legs, you'll see that Colin and Christy were the first one. Then you had Art and JJ because that was a fake recap, and then you have Leo and Jamal. So, in other words, I told you the exact boot order in order, and I told you two of the final three because I was never going to put the other ones on the banner. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and I am so proud of this. Because I snuck it past everyone apart from one person. There is only one person in the entire fan community who ratted me out on this. And that was last night. That was Spencer Wilson. Spencer gave me an absolute panic when I arrived at home because he sent a message to our group chat saying, Oh, you bastard. Don't ask Coy. And I'm like, Spencer, please do not spoil this joke. I have waited far too long to do this joke. How did he figure that out? Why would he Why would he even think of that? Because he knew the boot order, and when I started releasing the, the thumbnails, he spotted that Rupert and Laura were on the first one, and then Corinne and Eliza, and he's like, is he spoiling the boot order? And then Colin and Christy were the third one, he's like, no, he's not. And then I did Janelle and Brittany, he's like, oh my god. So he apparently spoke to me about this, and those two have been chatting about this for weeks. But also, on top of that, it was completely unintentional. I did not mean to spoil it via the medium of the thumbnails. It was just a happy accident. When did you figure out? So, the first week was always going to be Rupert and Laura. Mm. From that image, because it just made me giggle. The second week was always going to be Corinne and Eliza, because that image made me giggle. At that point, I thought, hmm, I might be able to get away with this. So I came up with the plan when I was sat in um, Manchester Airport waiting to fly to Antwerp. I actually have a list on my phone of the weeks broken down as to who was going to appear on the banner each week. This is far too well planned. But, there's more. Because, cast your mind back to last week, there's a particular um, interview that I mentioned a few times that we did last summer. And we've actually mentioned him again this episode, unintentionally. Which was LOL. And, because we were so excitable about this, we did mention Colin and Christy coming back every single week, basically, to every different person we spoke to. But the lol one was a bit different, because if you listen to it very carefully, you'll hear this. I think if Colin Christie can be brought back 26 seasons later, I have a and feeling when. there is no statute of limitations, except... So that's a nine-second clip from the lol interview, with Logan saying to lol, if Colin and Christie can be brought back 15 years later, the statute of limitations is gone. However, if you listen carefully, you can hear me in the background. 26 seasons later, and when. <laughs> I was that ballsy that in September last year, I said the words and win when Logan started talking about Colin and Christy, and nobody noticed this. Oh, God. <laughs> I spoiled the entire fucking season for you guys. 
and I am so unbelievably proud about it. <laughs> no, because you you could say, oh, I want them to win as well, so we wouldn't think of that. No, Michelle, <laughs> the, the entire phrase was, and win. When Logan yeah. said, and if Colin and Christie can be brought back after 15 years, and then I immediately said, and win. Oh, dear Lord. I'm so unbelievably proud. Is there another clip where I'm like, man, if Art and JJ come back after seven years and they're gone first in Tokyo? No, there isn't. That's, I only did two things. So, yeah. And if Rupert, if Rupert and Laura do the amazing race and Rupert can't direct an elephant and he gets 10th place. Michelle, you know how I said to you earlier there was going to be no nasty surprises? That statement was false. <laughs> oh, well. Like I said to you earlier, this podcast has basically been a year in the making because last September we did that lol thing that was also kind of unintentional i didn't intend on doing it going into that podcast but i just thought it'd be a really funny joke and that clip has genuinely been sitting on my laptop since the 27th of september last year when we recorded with lol you're crazy so crazy and the best thing is we're still not actually done with the season because we've still got a few more things to discuss so we've got some and questions. we've got another quiz, apparently. We have got another quiz. Don't forget about that. The winner will be determined, and that person will get to pick a Colin and Christie banner, which is why I'm insisting it's Colin and Christie, because it actually fits with the pattern. Colin and Christie are the only team this season who will get two banners, and one team will get zero, and they also got zero in season 28. So, Hunter from Facebook wants to know why wasn't there a second roadblock, and my answer is there doesn't have to be. Season 16 was the first one that had a leg with two roadblocks, and Season 18 was the first finale with two roadblocks. We had a lot of things for them to do anyway. Exactly, there was loads. I would much prefer active route invos to roadblocks ever. Mm. There was even an unaired task. There was. An unaired memory challenge. So what was the unaired task? Tell me about that. It was a field with loads of clue boxes. It was meant to be the memory challenge, apparently. Mm. Tell me. I don't Tell know any more. I don't genuinely don't know any more information other than that that it was a field was it full of after the drum kit or before. It was before the vinyl challenge. Right. So it's between the roadblock and the vinyl challenge. I assume it would have been mentioned on Coco Caliente podcast. Between fouling and um, and the vinyl challenge. I wonder why they didn't put it. I mean, obviously it didn't change the order, but. It would, it would be fun to see something else. Just because it didn't change the order doesn't mean they wouldn't air it, see the uh, the Uganda double battle as opposed to the Vietnam one. I suppose. Why didn't they air it then? Yeah, the Vietnam one where one team dropped six places and they didn't even acknowledge it. Uh, Sven Derek wants to know what the best and worst legs of this season were. I like this leg the best. I think the London, I think the London one probably wins it over for me. Yeah, Campen or London are my two favourites. The worst legs is a bit a bit harder to choose because there's quite a few this season. So Uganda, both Switzerland legs, Japan. Um, yeah, I think they're the worst four. I'd just say Japan. Japan was a terrible leg. The first Switzerland leg was awful and Uganda was awful. For me, it's a tie between Japan and Switzerland. At least Lao and Uganda were new countries. And he also wants to know whether we would race with Jonathan Baker. Never. Yeah. Really? What he could eat you wrong? alive. He would eat no. you alive. No, do you see Joe Rogan beat the crap out of him? <laughs> yeah. And then he got too close to Joe. 
Hey, 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 hey. No, don't hey, hey, hey me. And I want to know whether a good winning team saves a bad season. Uh, possibly. That question was really put to the test this year. I've learned it doesn't... It, it brings it up a little bit, but it doesn't necessarily boost replay value. I would say they stumbled ass backwards into a good winner on this. Because this cast was decent at least, and then the boot order's pretty damn terrible. Genuinely, two of the final four teams I would have been very unhappy to see win. One of them I would have been apoplectic with rage if they'd won, because the final leg was basically rigged for them. So for Colin and Christie to come in after 15 years, get the best average of the season, nearly get the best all-star average ever, and actually do better than their season 5 run, that's good enough for me. It'll make me look back on this season a lot more fondly than I would have done if anyone else would. I also noticed the season, because I wasn't like 90% of the internet where the only thing they talked about were the Riley sisters, but it's like as soon as the Switzerland stuff was done and they were out... The last four rounds, the quality just improved, and it was an improvement for the the production design and race design as well. Yeah, I. It's like they just—it's like two two completely different seasons. I put this question to you guys a few weeks ago, but I think my main gripe with this season is the fact that outside of Colin and Christie, nobody really taught us anything we didn't know about them. That's right. Nine, hmm. I would say, just Rupert and Laura and Colin and Chrissy were like the two net positives for characters, and then everyone else was, well, I could just write the script myself. Yeah, I mean, Rupert, even Rupert and Laura, I could have predicted even even though I knew they went home in 10th, even if I predicted preseason, Rupert and Laura would have been my first boot prediction, because you can tell that even though he's been to Samoa and Fiji and wherever else and Panama... He's not travelled very far. He's not very worldly. Well, it's more that he's not agile. <laughs> Rupert and Laura are not agile people. Rupert is not built for a game like Amazing Race. Like, have you seen him on balance beams in Survivor? <laughs> yes, and it's delightful. <laughs> but yeah, the other teams, I mean, Art and JJ, the one thing we learned was that Art lost a lot of weight. Lost a lot of water weight, too. <laughs> Corinne and Eliza, we really didn't learn anything new about. I mean, they're a massive loss for the early part of the season, but we really didn't learn anything new about them. Janelle and Brittany, we didn't learn anything new about them, apart from the fact that Michelle hates the fact that they define themselves as mothers. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Seriously. Rachel and Alitha, I think we could have guessed any of their character beats. The only good thing (laughs) that came out of Rachel being back on the season is her insane job list. Chris and Brett, like, we didn't learn anything new that we didn't learn in Ponderosa for them. Becca and Floyd were basically the exact same, 99% positive, 1% raging hell beast. Nicole and Victor, didn't learn anything about them. Leo and Jamal, same character beats as always. Leo and Jamal only got, like, two episodes of airtime this season. <laughs> it's like the final the final four leg like, happens, and you realize, oh yeah, there's Leo and Jamal. And then probably a major character of the season was Corey and his partner. And there was no... They were just being rammed down our throats, in my humble opinion. I know that obviously we've got personal issues with one half of that team, but 
I feel like if you build your entire season around a team who don't win and are very one-note, which they are, regardless of my feelings on them, they are very one-note. They played the exact same character beats as they did in Season 28. We learnt nothing new about them. They had the entire Uganda episode to basically get 99% of the airtime, and then, as an afterthought, Janelle and Brittany went home. You can't base an entire season around that. Especially when you have a team like Colin and Christie who not only win, not only have the best average of the season, not only are ridiculously competent, but they're also kind of fucking insane. That's the sort of team that you base the entire season around. Because they are the ones who bring the entertainment. Maybe you show their friendship with Corey and his partner, but you don't nearly show Corey and his partner as much. Unless you feel like they were wronged. And I worry that production set up that finale to try and help them if they got that far, and it didn't play out how they thought it would, and they then had to retrospectively go, actually, Colin and Christy, yeah, we're going to have to somehow make a a compelling narrative that they win. Let's just show them being all hippie and shit. That's a pretty accurate summary. That's a pretty accurate summary of the season. Yeah, I I just, I feel like if you're going to do a season with returning teams, you need to have some sort of evolution to their character. And you can make an argument to Rupert and Laura because their sheer incompetence at travelling we probably didn't understand pre-season. You can definitely make an argument for Colin and Christie, and I, believe me, I do a lot. The other nine teams, you really don't learn anything about. Yeah, and Art and JJ had potential, but they go home in two seconds. <laughs> I know that some people have argued with me that you don't watch an all-star season for this, you watch a, a season like this just for the, the season, but there's absolutely no point bringing back teams if you're not going to learn anything new about them. You might as well just have a, a season full of new teams. But you know what? Colin and Christy, they did have an evolution, but a lot of people don't change in life. They just get older. They don't change who they are. You see, Colin was, it's just an anomaly. It, it, he's just incredibly changed. I mean, no one would ever think after watching his first season what he would be like now, it just, it would, no one would ever think it at all. And I don't think anyone else has the ability to change in that sort of drastic respect because they weren't um, those kind of vitriolic people to begin with. That's the argument I'm making, though. The, the fact that you have a team like Colin and Christie and then you don't make them the main focus of the season, even though they are the exact team you should base the entire season around. They were ridiculously social. They were never really in danger, even when half of the teams you turned them. They had good relationships with literally every team in that final seven, to the point where they were all devastated to have wronged Colin and Christie because they felt so bad about it. And you make them bit players to a team who lose twice for the same reason and are not compelling characters in the slightest. They are exactly the same three years later than they were when they last raced. I know, but you can't focus on Colin and Christie too much because people will think it's a huge winner's edit and you can't do that. Yeah, but that's the thing. They got a winner's edit and it was all their redemption edit, basically. It was pretty much the Dana and Matt argument, ironically, is the fact that it's redemption just over a much longer period of time. But the main characters of the season should not be a team who are one note, who are boring as all hell. It's the argument I have against a lot of Amazing Race Canada seasons is they really pick the wrong teams to focus on and they definitely did this season yeah i guess i should bring up when i told you right as i was watching the finale how 
Corey and his partner lose the race the exact same way as season 28. They learned nothing about why they lost. (laughs) They aligned with the strongest team, did their best to protect them all the way through to the finale, and then at the end, oh, we let the team, we aligned with the strongest team, and they completely destroyed us on the final leg by one of the widest margins ever. Corey and his partner have now lost the final leg by two of the biggest defeats, I think, in Amazing Race history. I think Dane and Matt and uh, Colin and Christy both have like two of the four or five biggest uh, win margins ever. And then the irony is, you say they haven't learned anything. Corey's partner then posts on Facebook going, oh, I've learned so much about Amazing Race. Have you fuck? You learned nothing. All you learned was how to do the exact same thing again. And the first sign of madness is doing the exact same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. They did not get a different outcome. If they come back inexplicably for another season, they'll do it again and it'll be hilarious. And I will laugh mercilessly. What do you think about that whole anti- anti-Big Brother alliance that developed right at the end, because it was also similar to season 28, where it was suddenly, let's all gang up on Kurt and Brody. <laughs> I mean, it was very short-sighted, given that, even though I love them dearly, Colin and Christy are huge threats. And even if you don't go for Colin and Christy, the next huge threats are Corey and his partner. You go for one of those two teams, you try and make sure that they go home first. You drag Nicole and Victor as much as you can to the finale, because they'll never win it. If Nicole accidentally has to do that final roadblock, they fall three, four hours behind easily. Hmm. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't learn from season twenty-eight. And that's for sure. Because I was just watching it, thinking, "Oh," because I, I didn't know exactly. I just knew that Colin and Christy won after the episode aired, and then I was watching the episode and thinking, "Why lead an alliance to gang up on Nicole and Victor? Why are you aligning with Colin and Christy all the way to the end?" Why, when Christie's in dead last and you're in second to last, do you still help them out? <laughs> I know that they are huge friends and they're still friends out of the race. And, you know, Colin and Christie might be great people in real life, but they have terrible taste in friends. But you have to think about it logically. And they thought about it emotionally and it cost them again. What? Emotional? That doesn't sound like Corey's friend. <laughs> think about it on the other hand. If going into that final three leg, it was a final three of Nicole and Victor, Leo and Jamal, and Corey and his friend, oh my god, who do I root for? Because it sure as hell is not Corey and his friend. And it sure as hell is not Nicole and Victor. And by default, I have to root for Leo and Jamal, who probably still fall behind by two hours thanks to that roadblock. And they play against Nicole and Victor, who probably fall behind about three or four hours due to that roadblock if Nicole does it. Therefore, it's a runaway victory. It's the biggest victory margin ever. And they threw away thanks to friends. I have a question from a viewer. Do you want one? Um, Who would we put, if there was an all-winner's season, who would we put in the season? I will preface this now. I hate a lot of Amazing Race winners. I would struggle to form 11 teams. <laughs> well, same. I had a look, and I only came up with six that I really want. I went through a run of really, really hating winning teams. They were usually my least favourite team of the season. All right, well, I'm going to say my six, and you say yay or nay. Okay. Amy and Maya? 
Yeah, I could go for that. Nat and Cat? Yeah, I could go for that. Not many, The thing is, we've not many female-female options, have we? Mm. Robin Brennan? <laughs> Robin Brennan, yeah, good choice. BJ and Tyler? Yeah. Yes. Keisha and Jen? Yeah. No. No. I was never big on Keisha and Jen. I know that's sacrilege to certain people on the podcast, but I was never big on Keisha and Jen in their first season or their second one. I would have much preferred Gary and Mallory or Flight Time and Big Easy to win. Oh, uh, yeah. And last one, Brooke and Scott. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so they were my six. <laughs> Didn't we do that as a podcast once? No, we did um, who we'd bring back for All-Stars with uh, Justin and Diana. Yeah, which we did wasn't own... all winners. No, we didn't. We never did all winners. I um, thought we did it as like a list. We all wrote down a list. No, that was just anybody. Brooke and Scott would be my number one to bring back any for any season ever because I just want to see them dominate and win again because it'd be really, really fun to dive into the pool of hater tears. <laughs> I would say Colin and Christy, but they got a perfect end to their story, so I kind of hope that they wouldn't. I wouldn't want them back again. Is there anyone, Logan, that you would like that I missed out? Dana and Matt I would love to see back purely because they're exes now and it'd be delicious. I'd love an ex-team. Hey, they, like when I was at the 29 finale, somebody had to stand between them for the pictures. <laughs> um, <laughs> Joey and Kelsey I really like. They've always been kind to us, so I'll say them. Didn't Laura off of Tyler um, give you a bit of stick when you met her, Logan? Well, that's because of Ben. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> Um, I'm just trying to think back who I'd actually want to see back um, Rachel and Dave would be hilarious because they're exes maybe Ernie and Cindy the exes aren't doing it I love ex teams though, they're always hilarious Logan? Um, I think I've done this list like three or four times in the past but I can't find, it's funny, each wow. time I redo the list I find my <laughs> old list and it always ends up the same 11 teams each time <laughs> <laughs> I think, what was it? I, know, I think I had Robin Brennan in there as the original winners. Pretty sure I had Chris and Alex and Flo and Zach in there. Yeah, Flo and Zach, obviously, because I want to see them and Brooke and Scott form an unholy alliance and Dana and Matt and just basically run the entire season and be the final three because that's the final three that I would love to see. Can you imagine that final three? It would be a mess. I think I went with realistic choices of who would agree to do it again together. So I had the first three winners. I definitely had Chip and Kim in there. Um, for, I think, two of the four Lindsayses I had in there. Um, BJ and Tyler, Surrett 5. Um, Try to think. No, TK and Rachel split, I'm pretty sure. I think I said no to Nick and Star. Oh, I'm saying no to a lot of people in that stretch. <laughs> I'm at five teams. Um, let's see, Nat and Kat. That's six. Otherwise, there's no all-female teams other than them and Amy and Maya. That makes it seven. Brooke and Scott make it eight. Let's see. We're almost there. Josh and Brent, I think, for biggest underdog wins, says nine. I mean, nope, they're boring, boring, boring. Oh, Dan and Jordan. Dan and Jordan in the 10th slot. And then who's my 11th slot? I think maybe even the 10 each. I think maybe that 11th slot's always a wild card for me each time. Yeah, hmm. I'll just go with those 10. 
There you go. There's 10 teams I'd pick for all winners. Maybe the other two lenses. So there's two lenses as teams and then <laughs> 11 team cast. <laughs> That's cheating. And I guess we're getting towards the end of the season now, finally. And there's only really one way to finish the season. Oh, here we go. Here we go. And Michelle has alluded to the fact there's a third quiz coming because the puns were so good when Bindles and Ant were trading off that we're going to do another Rachel themed quiz. This one is Total Rage Goal. Total. Total Rage. Total Rage Colin. <laughs> so, instead of doing a before or after on this one, Bindles, in his eternal wisdom, has actually handpicked these ones for you guys, so you can't even blame me for who's got these. Bindles has handpicked some of his favourite real ones and come up with some fake ones. You guys have to just tell me. If you've heard it before, or if you've never heard it before, can you recall it? So we'll start with Logan. Has Rachel ever been called an IndyCar driver? Mm, no. You would be wrong. That was from week one. I knew that. Michelle, roll a Derby mom. Real or no real? <laughs> Isn't that Mona and <sighs> Oh, it doesn't rhyme. Not all of them rhymed. Some of them had different themes, as I actually discussed earlier. Bugger, yes, but no. I'm really thinking no, but I'm thinking I should say yes, so yes. Oh, God. Yes, you would be correct. Oh, really? Because as oh. I mentioned earlier, week one's theme was amazing race jobs. And as Logan said, that was Mona, Mona and Beth. So thanks for giving that one away, Logan. Logan, rodeo clown, real or no real? Real? Real is correct. That was from week two. Michelle, chemist, real or no real? Just chemist. Nothing with the chemist. Nothing with the chemist. Just chemist. Are you sure there was no... Are you just... Nothing... you just got to tell me if it was real or no real, Michelle. There's 20 of these. Nothing was, nothing was just one word, so not real. It is it's no real. real. It's no real, what? but it was Rachel's it's, job. It's her real in, job. It was Rachel's job in Big Brother yeah. 12. Yeah, because she spelled out the word chemistry in that one word challenge. She did, but on this podcast, she was never called a chemist. Logan, Thank you. pharmaceutical sales rep, real or no real? I like how one of her real jobs wasn't <laughs> one of her jobs. <laughs> out of 300 jobs this season. 261, don't exaggerate. It needs to be like a poker rap. I'm not doing that before anyone gets any ideas. Yeah, pharma sales, real or no real? Real. Real is wrong. It was fake. <clears throat> Missionary recruiter, Michelle. Real or no real? Real. Real is correct. So it's from week three. And with that, you are tied. Can I just point out? <clears throat> Logan, creature feature. Was that real or no real? Real. Real is wrong. Uh, Michelle, slow taxi driver. Real or no real? Oh. Not real. It's Real. It, that was from week four. Oh God. Still tied. Logan, <laughs> ambassador to Switzerland. <laughs> Logan, I don't like that Michael makes us do quizzes. Not <laughs> real. Not real is correct because it was the Seychelles. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, Switzerland. There's no, there's no punchline to that. Ambassador to the Seychelles was actually from the fake recap list that I made you read. Wait a second. 
So we've had two podcasts this season where the Seychelles have been mentioned. <laughs> I remember one. Michelle, Miss Phosphorescence 2013. Real and no real. Why did you even have that line? When did they ever see any phosphorescent anything in the ocean? Bindles wrote every single one of these on this list, both real and no real. Really? Really? I don't recall it, but I'm going to... uh, I don't recall it at all. But it sounds like something he would write. He wrote every one of these real and fake. I know, I know. I don't know. I don't want to lose. Just give me a word, real or no real. God, real. Real real. is wrong. It was actually... Yes. It was Miss Phosphorescence 2015 that was the real one. God. So Logan is one point ahead halfway through this list. I know. Logan, celibate, celebrant. Real or no real? Real. Real is correct. It was from Why is he getting week five and six one. He's getting all the ones I know definitively. Like, seriously. Michelle, Russian roulette revolver reloader. Uh, real. It is real. It is also from week five and six. Logan, alien bounty hunter. Not real. Not good. It was real. It's from yes. week, it was from week seven. <laughs> oh, oh, episode episode seven. Sorry, from uh, from the first Switzerland leg. Michelle Dubstep Vampire. Not real. You would be wrong. That is also from the first <gasps> Switzerland leg. Really? And Logan's still I one point ahead. That one. You didn't. You were here. Um, Logan. I might have been half asleep, actually. Logan, Easter Island bobblehead. Real. It is fake. Uh, Michelle, Moroccan roller. Real. Real. It's from the second Switzerland leg. That was from season 25. It is, you're right. (laughs) Logan, gallant gallivant. Real. It is real. That was from the Croatia leg. Michelle, lax lumberjack. Fake. It is fake. You are correct. Logan, your final one is Knitter. Not real. Not real. And Michelle, Bitterer Twitterer. Real. Is real. That is from last week. So, the scores. Tied, isn't it? It is indeed tied. (laughs) I was counting. Yeah, genuinely, I don't have a tiebreaker. So... (laughs) So bear with me one sec whilst I actually come up with the sidebreaker. Oh dear, how funny is this? This was much easier when it was Olympics uh, trivia. Yeah. <laughs> now you have to make some up. I know that's that's the problem. I'm definitely on the spot here. It is not a good thing. A good thing. Are we getting out the chalkboards? Yeah, you're gonna have to get out the chalkboards. The person who um, gives me the the closest number without going over. Ooh, I know what we can do actually in a Big Brother style. How many Rachel Jobs were there in the preview? You have to both send me your numbers privately, and it's the closest without going over. Oh, God. This is not a good tiebreaker. Genuinely, we did not plan that there would need to be a tiebreaker, because I would have done it much better if if we did. (laughs) Logan has sent his. Without going over. Yeah, without going over. Big Brother rules. Might as well give him some help. They needed it this season. There you go. Oh, we have a winner. Logan said nine. Michelle said 33. 
And the correct answer is 29. Congratulations, Logan. (gasps) Shouldn't it just be the closest? Nope, that wasn't the rules. (laughs) That is crap. How can 9 to 33, like, even equate... Michael made the rules extremely clear. Yeah, the rules were very clear, I'm afraid, Michelle. This is not a Topaz moment. You cannot appeal to Arissa here. Because my guess was completely based around that strategy. (laughs) I don't like this. The listeners will agree with me that even though there was a rule, I got closest. (laughs) Closest without going over, I'm afraid, Michelle. Oh, that's crap. It should just be closest to the number. Don't worry, next time we podcast together, I'll make sure there's loads of quizzes for you to lose at. Nine. He's not even in the ballpark. It's it's the one dollar bet on prices, right? Anyway, um, how do you think we're going to look back on this season? Let's actually close up this season. I like looking back at all-star seasons because I like seeing teams again. So I'm going to see it favorably, even I know you you guys may not. but um, And I love the winners. Colin Christie definitely helped. If Colin Christie didn't win, this would easily be a bottom 10 season for me. Because they win, it's kind of mid to lower tier. Saunders? I honestly could not see myself re-watching this season anytime soon. <laughs> and the final question that I suspect I already know the answer for. Will we be back for season 32 and Australia 4? Um, you'll definitely be back for Australia 4. You have to be. Have to be. Depends when it airs. Well, you know, someone else could step in for you in the two weeks you're away. As always, my answer is yes, but. Because if it comes back, if either of those seasons is in January or February, the answer is a straight up no, because Hunted and Vidim take priority, I'm afraid. If they come back any later than that, maybe I'll fit it into my schedule, or any earlier than that. I feel like Logan and I definitely have to do the 32 preview for something that we were discussing earlier, because we actually have a connection to one of the contestants next season. Oh. There's a cliffhanger for you. I need that. Yeah. I need that. We actually do have a kind of loose connection to one of the contestants. So, I guess it's time to finish the season. It is. Done. Have you guys got anything else you want to say before we hibernate for potentially the next six months, actually? Could be longer. <laughs> well, this episode comes out on the last day of June, and then we're not going to do any regular coverage unless Australia 4 comes back earlier than next year. Until probably Hunted or Vidum, whichever one's back first. Or until Linguistic Game Night. (laughs) Yeah, I'm kind of ignoring that at the moment. We will obviously be back during the prolonged off-season for some special podcasts. I'm hoping to actually do Podcast Game Night. I know I keep saying that, but I'm hoping to actually do it this year. Given I have the setup now for it. And that we have a bit more time to, you know, do it rather than me being between homes. Logan and I are currently working on a kind of off-season project that will be ridiculous if it comes together, so keep an eye out on your podcast feeds for that. Other than that, I have not a lot else to say. I've said so much on this podcast about the nefarious schemes that I've done over the past months, nearly year, so I'm done, I think. Great. I'm glad we came back for this season. I'm glad you guys finally got to experience the fact that Colin and Christy won. I'm not glad that this season came back when it did, because I'm knackered and just want to hibernate for about a month now. I have podcasts about the season from ten different countries. Yeah, Logan has done ten different countries, and we didn't even do Where in the World is Logan Saunders this week, because I completely and utterly forgot. Do you want to end with Where in the World is Logan Saunders, I guess? Belgrade. 
Serbia. And you are off to where tomorrow? You mean today? <laughs> Bulgaria. I'm trying to keep up the pretense that we've not actually gone over midnight here. Yep, Logan's going to Bulgaria tomorrow. Wow. And he went on a pub crawl with some sleazy Quebecois yesterday, was it? Yes, my last pub crawl for the trip. <laughs> I didn't realize how late it was when I got back. I looked at my messages last night, and the last one I sent was at 4.30 in the morning. So I would have... Oh. Did you realize that uh, when I said you'd already sent me four voice notes, I was joking, by the way? This morning I did. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to threaten to uh, play them out on the podcast. Michelle, have you got any plans over the next six months? Six months, let's see. Um, Would you like to learn Dutch with us? No. (laughs) I'd like to be racing. Um, but other than that, no, I have no goal except for that one. If I knew how to fulfill that goal, I would do a lot more than what I'm doing right now. Genuinely, this has been a delight of a season to cover in terms of our coverage. I think it's been very fun every week. It's been maybe a little bit more antagonistic than normal, but it's been a very funny season, I think. So thank you to you guys first. And Bindles. Yeah, Yeah, and then, you know, thank you to Bindles for basically writing the entirety of the running joke this season in Rachel's job list. Let's be honest, it's probably not the last of the Rachel job list we'll see because it amuses me greatly. But yeah, I normally say thank you to Bindles, but thank you especially to Bindles this season because he has been a great help. Thank you to Ant for uh, coming up with one of the two very punny Rachel titles as well. He was in on the banner joke, just for the record, as were Spencer and May. Um... And thank you to everyone for listening and putting up with us. I think it's been a fun season to cover. I think I especially have been incredibly grumpy at times this season, mainly because, you know, 39 episodes in 26 weeks takes it out of you. 39 episodes is actually more than we have done in certain years, and we've done them in six months. I think we should say putting up with you. I think Logan and I are totally fine. I don't. Um... (laughs) (laughs) I will also say, hopefully this is not the last Amazing Race podcast of the year. We may have some potentials in the works. But you'll find out about those when, you know, we get everything confirmed and we actually get recording date side. And in the meantime, I will apply for Big Brother Canada 8. Again. (laughs) Amazing Race Canada 8. Canada has an amazing race. And Survivor 41 and 42. Yeah. And my final thanks is zero thanks at all to CBS for inflicting this season on us. It was terribly planned, and I hope to God that the rumour of Back to Basics as being being a theme for season 32 is true, because, frankly, you were very lucky Colin and Christy won. I liked it, CBS. You're not the only one who um, needs to give the judgement. I liked it, CBS. There you go. I would have been very, very, very angry if Colin and Christy hadn't won. And zero thank you to CBS for not giving us exit interviews and therefore the opportunity for Logan to have to speak to Corey and his friend. Because that was the joke. I wanted that to happen. Logan would have been doing the finale one. I would have deliberately planned it. And he would have been speaking to Corey and his friend. And it would have been stupidly awkward. It would have been delightful. And you've ruined my fun. So F you, CBS. The fun meter's down. Oh my gosh. The F you meter is high right now. Yes. So, thank you for listening to our Amazing Race podcast all season long. We will be back at some point soon for more episodes. 
I'd like to say a big thanks to Logan and Michelle for joining me and also Bindles, who've helped a lot this season, especially with the Rachel's jobless gag. If you've got any questions, feel free to contact us on our Facebook page, Reality TV Warriors, on our social account, our TV Warriors, our own Twitter pages, MJ Armstrong for me, Logs for Cracker for Logan, and Bear3333333 for Michelle. Thank you for listening, and we will see you soon. Bye! Peace out and just chill till the next season. Yeah, yeah.